on today's episode of Neyland's Basement. We'll look back at week two, the Sunbelt Madness, glance at the top 25, and preview week three. Welcome everybody into this the the third episode of Neyland's Basement. I am Tucker Harlan alongside Dominic Throngard and Devin Hoke. Guys, we have had a crazy week in college football. Let me tell you. Yeah, it was uh, quite the weekend for the Sun Belt. There, just great to see some huge upsets and obviously a amazing, amazing Tennessee win. Love to see it. How are you feeling, Devin? Yeah, I'm feeling good. I love. I uh, absolutely loved those games. Of course, Alabama, quote unquote, getting lucky uh, in that game. I'm sure we'll all have very strong opinions about about that exciting matchup. Yeah, for sure, guys. So, without further ado, let's jump into a little bit of a recap of Week Two. Let's start off with what was considered an upset just by rankings, but Vegas really did not consider it an upset. That is number 24, Tennessee, taking down number 17, Pittsburgh, in overtime, 34-27, to 27, in what is now Acrisure Stadium, I believe is what it's called. It's not Heinz Field anymore. Um, the Hendon Hooker and Cedric Tillman combo uh, struggled a little bit at first, you know, but eventually they got to a point where they were really in a rhythm. Nine catches, 162 yards, and a touchdown. Uh Really, really good stuff from these guys later on, and it was other receivers that really contributed too, didn't they? Yeah, just a great, great game for Tennessee's uh, wide receiver room there. Just lots of lots of good plays by Hyatt. Uh, Brew McCoy got his first touchdown for the Vols. Really good to see, and I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can interpret this game for sure. Uh, two, two kinds of ways to look at it. One, uh, Tennessee looked a little bit rough at times, made a lot of costly mistakes, and it was a bit shaky. The other way you can look at it, though, is in a game that the old Tennessee would have lost like 10 times out of 10, they came and made a strong statement by winning this game, even though they had their huge difficulties throughout. They kept their heads down, they played well, and they stuck to the game plan. And Heupel, he managed to coach us to a win. Yeah, it was very encouraging to see Tennessee start out from behind and then managed to make a comeback in the game, managed to battle themselves back into the game, uh, even, even after they looked very uh, very out of sorts right from the beginning. Hendon Hooker throwing a lot of passes very high. Uh, I was concerned about that based on what I saw from the Ball State game, but he settled down. He made big plays when he had to with both his arms and his legs. Brew McCoy showed his ability to be a very effective blocker as well. That's something I think very underrated in his game. Yes, he's only got one touchdown this season, but his blocking has been very effective. It's helped set up, you know, running backs and even Hooker himself for some big runs. So really like to see that. And of course, Cedric Tillman was just incredible this game. And so the team really came together well. And the defense, uh, you know, they've still got some work to do. But we can see clear improvement from last season. What Tim Banks has done with the defense in the offseason, he's a guy that's gotten shredded. He's gotten criticized a lot for how the defense played last year. But they kept him around because they knew, okay, it's just because of the new system. They're not used to it yet. Give it some time. Discipline these guys. Tra- uh, change the training regimen, and we'll see the results soon. And we can see drastic improvement already. Yeah, I, I really love the way the defense played in this game because, obviously, you saw them force turnovers. You have the Trayvon Flowers pick in the first half, also the Amari Thomas fumble recovery. That was pretty big as well, and it felt like the defense was just hitting the quarterback every single time. I mean, mm-hmm. Keaton Slovis went out of the game for a reason. That guy was getting hit all game long by Byron Young, Tyler Barron, Amari Thomas. You name a defensive player, he's hitting it. Wesley Walker had that big sack on the fourth down play uh, deep in Tennessee territory. So Yeah, and, you know, and all that surprised yeah. me because Pitt – has a good offensive line, but their exactly. blocking scheme was just way out of sorts. And, and you're right, Slovis was getting hit constantly, and now with his injury, I mean, Pitt might have just screwed up their season there by having a really terrible blocking scheme set up. Yeah, just all in all, amazing game for Tennessee's defense there. They really showed that they can turn this thing around and get some really good pass rush because that was another thing at the Ball State game 
is Tennessee's pass, pass rush was not really getting to the quarterback against a terrible team. And now all of a sudden, against a good O-line, Tennessee was able to get in there just about every single play and make life incredibly difficult to the point where anytime that Pitt was making a play on offense early on, it was because of Keaton Slovis making something happen. It, like He showed he was a really good quarterback, to be honest. Extremely accurate. And so I, I, I'm worried for Pitt... Uh, if they're going to have Slovis out, it's not going to be good for them. Yeah, because Patty, I mean, he's not going to be cutting it for if you want to win an ACC championship. And they do have to compete with Miami, and, and Tyler Van Dyke is way better than than Patty, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely think it could hurt them in the long run if Slovis is out for a while. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks that were hit too much this weekend, number one Alabama survived Texas in Austin 20-19. to This game looked great early. Quinn Ewers was really slinging it out there for Texas, but then he took a big hit, and now he's going to be out for, what, a month or two now, I think is what they're saying. And even though he was out, they really made it a close game. I mean, Hudson Card, he didn't find the end zone at all, I don't think, but it felt like they were able to at least move the ball a little bit throughout the course of the game, and they were able to take advantage of a lot of the mistakes that Alabama made on the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I mean, I mean, people forget Hudson Card is a really good quarterback. I mean, he was a very high recruit from the Austin area, playing at Lake Travis. So he's he's got high uh, ratings and, and credentials, uh, but he got banged around a lot too. He was limping throughout the yep. game. I mean, they got very lucky that he uh, wasn't seriously injured. And and I will say, you know, this, uh, you know, a lot of people were were very you know, soft on Alabama there by going like, well, you know, it wasn't completely malicious, the hit on Quinn Ewers. To me, I'm looking at that, I'm saying, okay, but he didn't even really try to, to stop. He picks him up, he drives him into the ground. Uh, to me, I mean, it wasn't the most malicious thing I've ever seen by any means, but I feel like there was a little bit of intent on that uh, injury. Ewers going right down the field, dicing up their defense. Uh, I felt like Alabama got away with a little bit too much roughness there. Yeah, I'm just glad no one was getting hit with helmets um, like yeah. in the NFL. But, uh, yeah, I mean, really good game for Texas here. Like, very impressed with what they were able to put together with Card coming in after Quinn Ewers showed that he is, in fact, legit because I didn't know what to really make of the guy before this season. And after seeing that game out of him, I, I, I'm i pretty convinced he's legit. Yeah. Um, but with Texas and Bama, the main takeaway here is if I'm Nick Saban, I am fuming. I am mm. the maddest I have ever been. Uh, just severe, severely undisciplined play by Bama there. Lots of really costly and stupid mistakes. Mm. It, it it looked like an amateur team out there, and it was ridiculous at the end of the game, too. We all saw the clip where uh, the Bama players were doing horns down, and Nick Saban <laughs> yes. runs out onto the field. They can't tell, penalize him after the game's over now, Nick. Yeah, no. yeah, and tells him to knock that explicitive off. <laughs> yeah, which, <laughs> and, I, which I like Saban for saying that. I, I respect that right there. Yeah, and I mean, I, I love doing horns down, and I I'm all for some smack talk and trash mm -hmm. talk, yeah. but at the same time, if you're a team like Bama, you know, number one, you come to Texas expected unranked team. Yeah, expected to win by a boatload of points. That's pathetic. And you basically <laughs> lose the game and just luck out because yeah, the refs it, didn't call a safety when they should have called a safety. It's pathetic. You have to show dominant d performance to be able to do something like that, and it, it just shows that these Bama guys are too happy with too little. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and guys, I'll be I'll be honest. I look at looking at this game before it got started i was thinking you know maybe i'll watch the first quarter of this mm -hmm. game yeah bam was gonna yeah. hang a lot of points on him that was not the case mm -hmm. i was tuned in the entire way i was really surprised by what i saw so texas i mean what's the best way to say this i mean i, I wouldn't say that they're back but you they're know not bad they're, they're not bad anymore no the sark curse may have been just a thing of 2021 uh so hopefully for texas's sake it's a thing of the past Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of noon games, number 16, Arkansas beat South Carolina 44 to 30 in Fayetteville rocket Sanders, Raheem rocket Sanders terrified this defense, 156 yards and two touchdowns on the ground and South Carolina, you know, Spencer Rattler didn't have a bad game. I mean, he threw for over 300 yards and a lot of that was to Antoine Wells had eight catches for 189 yards and a touchdown. So when you look at this one, I mean, Arkansas, definitely did what they wanted to on offense and 
unfortunately for South Carolina, took a lot of that defense with them as they are pretty banged up right now. But, you know, South Carolina was able to hang in there. Yeah, but I feel like a lot of that was kind of closer to the end of the game. I mean, if you look at the first half compared to the second half, uh, Arkansas was definitely up by a bit more, and South Carolina made the score uh, a little bit more manageable. But this is what I'd expect. I was very high on Arkansas heading into this season, much higher than most people. And now people are kind of seeing Arkansas kind of where I kind of saw them, around a top 10 team. Now they're currently ranked in the top 10. Uh, To me... This is the team that has the best odds from the West of upsetting Alabama. I've said it you know, a couple other times before on this show. So they really showed it because they have a very complete offense, very complete defense. They're, they got playmakers at all levels on the defense. They're just a very complete team. They can run super well. KG Jefferson is experienced, so he can make the smart throws. Uh, So this is a team that is extremely, extremely dangerous and really could be in the mix for an SEC championship legitimately. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, KJ Jefferson, just he looks legit too. Um, He's able to really control how the game goes when he's in and not make a lot of mistakes. Just very, very consistent play from him. The stuff you would expect from a seasoned veteran quarterback, and he just makes it look easy out there for Arkansas. And he's got a very good offensive line. I mean, outside of, I mean, Georgia has the best offensive line in the SEC, but Arkansas probably has the second best offensive line in the entire SEC. Having Sam Pittman as head coach really helps him with that, too. Yeah, I'll be very interested to see how Arkansas ends this season, you know, just coming off of really a difficult non conference schedule, what it's going to shape up to be. For them, you know, with BYU and Liberty down the road. But, obviously, you play in the SEC West, too, so it doesn't really get any easier for them. Yep, the Aggies coming up soon. Of course, I don't know is how that, impressive is that, that is anymore. Okay, yeah, we'll get to that in a bit. But there was one other SEC matchup this weekend. Number 20, Kentucky took down number 12, Florida, 26-16 to in the swamp. And, really, the big story in this one is Anthony Richardson's uh, premature Heisman campaign might have ended pretty quickly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I just kind of felt like it was ugly football on both sides for both teams. I, I agree. I, I didn't see anything too pretty out of anyone. It was just kind of, it was a real dogfight for both teams. And just mistakes really cost Florida. And Kentucky just ends up being able to be a little bit more consistent in this game and walk away with the win, even in a hostile environment. Yeah, and what's really impressive about this win also is Kentucky was without uh, Chris Rodriguez, their star running back. Now, Cavassier Smoke, he is pretty darn good. Yeah, so but he's he's a, a guy that's been around for a exactly. while, too, so not a guy to be slept on he's, at all. He's kind of starting material, but if you have uh, you know Rodriguez and Smoke together as a dynamic one-two punch, especially since Kentucky this season does not have that dynamic, you know, Wandale Robinson type big play receiver for Will Levis. You really, it really is good to have a strong running game with this team. But uh, even without Richardson to still go into the swamp, win by ten points with your defense really showing out. Kentucky, very impressive performance. I did not expect this at all. I thought Florida would win by ten points, and so I, I was very surprised by this actually. Yeah, you know when people were hyping up Anthony Richardson in the preseason. I knew he was a good runner, Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I wanted to see more out of him, you know, just throwing the ball to see if he could really be that guy for Florida. And, you know, in that first game against uh, Utah, he didn't make a ton of just crazy throws. I mean, obviously we can talk about the two-point conversion, Mm -hmm. but outside of that, it it wasn't anything just too crazy, like no deep bombs down the field or anything. But now he's thrown two picks in this one and just had a rough game all around it. If you watched it at all, those two picks, those were – Bad, bad, bad interceptions. Exactly. Not even close to receivers. He's he's got the arm talent. So these these NFL draft guys coming up and saying, you know, oh well, but look at how strong his arm is. Look at how fast he is. Look at all the stuff. I'm like, okay, but how efficient is he? This is what bothers me sometimes with these NFL draft analysts is because sometimes they over focus on like Jake Locker, for instance, was heavily yep. focused on about, oh, but look at his arm talent. Look at his he's a playmaker with his legs. It's the same things they said about Jake Locker. I'm not saying Anthony Richardson is going to be as bad as Jake Locker but I'm just saying this is the kind of stuff that these draft analysts always get wrong with this they look at the measurables and they don't look at okay but what's the efficiency is he consistently leading teams down the field is he uh, making good decisions which he did not make in this game so to me for them to be saying oh he's the 12th overall pick he's a first round pick 
okay, show me some better decision-making as a quarterback, and then I'll jump on that that train. Yeah, I'm going to be honest, too. I think that's going to be Kentucky's only ranked win of the season. I don't think they have it in them for the rest of the season to pull off anything close to what they pulled off here. Just I, Even though they pulled off a win in the Swamp, which is always impressive no matter how good the Florida team is, mm-hmm. I'm just not a big believer in Levis and company. I just don't think they have it in them. Yeah, so on that note, let's look at another SEC team that played this weekend. Number 23, Wake Forest, won 45-25 at Vanderbilt. Uh, let's just go through this one real quickly. I mean, Sam Hartman came back, uh, not really surprised by anything that happened here. Yeah, but here's how Vandy can still make the college football playoff. Oh boy. <laughs> so we need we – They need have to some, beat Alabama. Yeah, yeah, we need the Alabama win. We need some losses and then, and then from the top 10 teams, and then I think – that means we have to lose to them. Well, look, they, they, they can beat us, Alabama and Georgia. Any okay? given Saturday. Any given Saturday, man, you can pull it off. Yeah. But no, I, obviously this game, everything you expected to happen, happened. And Vandy's often still showed some promise. So, I mean, I think they're starting to do better. I mean, anything is better than last season. Yeah, that's for I mean, they already are just as good as they were last season uh, as it is. Uh, yeah, this prediction was a wash for me. I mean, I thought Vanderbilt might have been able to get this upset riding high off of uh, previous victories, but uh, of course, Wake Forest, they needed a strong bounce back. So, I mean, at the end of the day, Sam Hartman is still one of the best quarterbacks in the country, and Vanderbilt still is a long ways away from beating a team like that. Absolutely. So, up next, we've got Kansas State beating up on Missouri 40-12 to 12 in Manhattan. And, guys, I don't like to flex very often, <laughs> but Deuce Vaughn ran for 145 yards and two touchdowns on Missouri. He absolutely terrorized them, and that was my prediction going into it. And look what happened. Well, I guess Tucker has proven his football prowess with this one. Um, can't say I predicted the same thing. My SEC bias may be wearing off a little bit after that matchup. <laughs> Did not expect Kansas State to run over Mizzou that hard. I knew Mizzou was not good, but I I was not expecting that by any means. <laughs> yeah, well, with uh, you know, with all the coaching changes we've seen with Scott Frost being gone, uh, Eli Drinkwitz is probably a good bet to be the next guy gone. Him and Neil Brown of West Virginia, and, and I could go on with a couple other names, but uh, I mean, Drinkwitz, he's had time to build a good team. He's had really good recruiting classes. He just got Luther yeah, he Burden. Got, he got a big one this year. He, he got Luther Burden, number three overall recruit in the entire country. He's had very good recruits especially on offense the quarterbacks he's brought in are great but to lose like this uh and the seasons Missouri's been having have just been a complete mess especially on defense uh I mean it it really just has to go I the recruiting is one thing but you gotta show the results and you can't lose that badly to a mid-tier you know six to seven possible win Kansas State team yeah I'll be very interested to see what Missouri does down the stretch in SEC play because they you know, they, they've they had a very mediocre season last year, didn't really go anywhere, and now they bring in a big recruiting class that they were somehow to get it, somehow got after that yeah. kind of mediocre season, which was interesting. And to me... Maybe they've got some McDonald's bags, too. I oh, don't know. boy. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, to me, like, outside of Vanderbilt, they, they're the only team in the SEC that I don't feel like has any kind of momentum oh, going for them yeah. right now. Exactly. I think Vanderbilt is most likely Missouri's only SEC win. And I only say that because it's in Columbia this year. Uh, So they have the home field advantage. That's pretty much it. I mean, them and Vanderbilt, I'd I'd say really are about the same. Yeah, I mean, playing Vandy when Vandy's at home, though, is pretty much a neutral site game. It (laughs) is. It really is. So with that being said, let's move on to our last SEC matchup. Mississippi State took down Arizona 39-17 in the desert. While Will Rogers threw for four touchdowns, it was the quarterback on the other side that kind of ruined the game for Arizona. Jaden Delara threw for three interceptions, and guys, you just cannot win football games doing that. Yeah, I mean, it's never going to happen. Anytime you throw three picks, you're costing not only possessions but precious time, and you're making your defense have to work way harder than they ever would in any other game just because of all that extra time they're spending out on the field. There's no way for your defense to really catch up if they're having to come out onto the field constantly if you're if you keep turning the ball over there's just no way you can win a football game like that you know from this game I gotta say I think Mississippi State could secretly be very legit this year because their biggest issues in the past 
They've had exciting offense with Mike Leach, terrible defense, horrible secondary. But look at the two results they've gotten so far playing traditionally good offensive teams, Memphis and Arizona. Now, we got to see for a more high-powered team, of course, but so far the defense looks much improved. To me, that means Mississippi State, who in my opinion was a 7-5 and team coming into this season, a good team, and that's even in the SEC West, a 7-5 and team. Uh their ceiling might be even slightly higher than that. I don't want to overreact too much, but this is a really good team, and Will Rogers is one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. Yeah, Devin, I think you said something about this last week, but they have been able to win playing at weird times. Mm-hmm. We'll see what that does going down the stretch because they probably won't have to do that very often uh, the rest of the season because obviously when you get a rain delay, I mean, you're, you're just unlucky at that point, but... You know, playing a game on the West Coast, obviously, you got to play at a much later time. So maybe this experience is valuable for Mississippi State. We'll, we'll just have to see how it goes. So what is the opposite of offense? And that's what this next game was. Iowa State beat Iowa in the Cyhawk Trophy game 10-7. to That is the first win for Iowa State in eight years in the Cyhawk Trophy. And... Uh, there's a, there's been a running joke lately, guys. I mean, the O is kind of missing in Iowa right now. Uh, where did the offense go? Well, I I can't say that I know exactly where it's gone. Uh, just really disappointing season start for the Iowa <laughs> Hawkeyes. Just not a good not a good look for them. And Iowa State being able to pull off the victory is really impressive for them. I mean, being able to beat your rival in a game that hasn't been much of a rivalry for quite some time is always going to feel really good. And I know those fans are always going to be going crazy for them. Uh, Iowa State tends to have some of the craziest student sections out there. So good win for them. Really impressive to see. Yeah, uh, you know, I like Kirk Ferentz a lot as a head coach. He's been around the game for a long, long time. I think like 40 years he's been coaching the Hawkeyes. Uh, I, I hate to say it, though, when you keep a guy who's that old school for this long, um, and they've had good offenses mixed in there, but this really, uh, I, I really don't know what's happened to this offensive team. I feel like there's got to be a better quarterback than Petrus. There's got to be a better system, but maybe there isn't. Uh I mean, it was really uh, not too terribly impressive offensively. The Iowa defense, though, clearly legit, clearly legit again, but... Uh, you know, even their offense has gotten so bad, it's just become a serious liability for them. Yeah, yeah, and I think we we were talking a little bit about um, uh, just just the lack of offense last week a little bit too. But Iowa Spencer Petrus has I think thrown for like a touchdown and nine interceptions in his last however many starts. <laughs> I want to say I saw that somewhere. I could be totally making that up, but. I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me the way this team has been playing lately. And he's lost Charlie Jones to Purdue, which, of course, was a yes, big loss. But he's still got good receivers like Seth Laporta. Uh, he's still got other playmakers at the tight end and receiver position oh, yeah. and decent running backs to throw to as well. So that, that, And a really good offensive line, too. And Iowa's been recruiting great at the offensive line position. So there really is to meet no excuse for for those kinds of numbers yeah if you're Iowa's head coach you just you have to make a change there's mm-hmm. no other way around it you have to make a change yeah so let's look at another matchup in the Big Ten West that was also fairly low scoring Washington State upset number 17 Wisconsin 17-14 that is at Camp Randall Stadium and really the best way that I have to describe this one is Wazoo pretty much won this game playing Wisconsin's game pretty much you know what I mean just power football uh, really, well, not so much playing power football, but, you know, playing a low-scoring game, winning in a low-scoring game when you have to go up against a system like that that Paul Christ has constructed there. Really confused on this one, I have to say, because Wazoo, the Cougs, they just barely won last week, or maybe it was... Yeah, yeah it was last week against yeah, Idaho. Yeah, against the University FCS of Idaho. FCS Idaho. Yeah, uh, in the Battle of the Palouse. <laughs> and so I'm just... I cannot believe that Wisconsin drops this one. Uh, at Camp Randall, nonetheless, I think this bodes really bad for what we thought would be a pretty competitive Big Ten out there. Uh, between Wisconsin and Iowa in particular, but both these teams really disappointing early on. Just huge stinkers out there, man. Yeah, yeah, really not good. This is this is one of the reasons why 
another one of the reasons why I still think Purdue can win the Big Ten West despite dropping that early game to Penn State because you look at the rest of the division, it's like, okay, now maybe Minnesota. Minnesota's looked really good. They've got an experienced team, Tanner Morgan. Uh, who knows? Maybe the Golden Gophers will end up in the Big Ten championship game. That's that's not way out of the realm of possibility with all the way these teams are playing. Very impressive win for the Pac-12. Very good for them uh, after the bad start that they had. I like to see them, you know, having a little bit more success, seeing some more competitive balance spread out across the rest of the country. I think that's good. Uh, Gets people from different regions more interested in the sport. So to me, this was really good. Uh, Good job by Washington State here. They've gone through a lot of uh, interesting changes throughout the team, coaching position changes. A quarterback named Jarrett Garantano. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that they that they were smart enough to not start. Uh, fortunately for them, um, but uh, but yeah, Cameron Ward, he's good. I mean, he didn't have that great of a game, but but he's a solid quarterback. Um, and they might actually have a pretty solid team in the Pac-12 this year. Okay, guys, I'm going to do something that I never thought I would do on a college football show. And it is talk about Kansas. <laughs> Kansas, chalk. Kansas won at West Virginia 55-42 to 42 in overtime. There was a pick six that was run back that really didn't need to be run back by Kansas, and they ended up winning the game by 13. Kansas is 2-0 and for the first time since 2009. Mm. Are we believing in the Lance Leipold project? I believe. I believe so hard. I mean, they knocked off Texas last year. It was incredible. Everybody celebrated. Uh, everybody thanked whichever God they believe in because Kansas is that team, guys. They are the team to beat right now. Yeah, and Lance Leipold, he has a proven track record of taking teams with not a whole lot of talent. I mean, like, no, basically high school teams playing college uh, that he did, uh, I believe, Wisconsin-Whitewater, I believe the team was. uh, At Buffalo uh, as well. So he's got a proven track record of taking a team that traditionally didn't recruit well, traditionally doesn't have a whole lot of talent, and making them into a really good team. I mean, take a look at Buffalo's teams when he was there as head coach. Jared Patterson was awesome at running back. Yep, and he even uh, had you know Kyle Van Trees at the beginning. I think he brought Buffalo in. Now, of course, Van Trees with a, a different team. But, uh, you know, he's had a track record established of rebuilding these teams, so I loved that hire by Kansas when it happened. And I love that they said, okay, we're going to give you a lot of time because we know this team is a disaster. Uh, And he has done a fantastic job. This is absolutely incredible. The offense, really exciting. The defense, of course, still has a lot of work to do. But, uh, but, hey, this is a fun team to watch. If you're in Lawrence, Kansas, this is about the best you could ask for is just, just have a fun team that might go bowling. Absolutely. So here is our last matchup for the week. Number 21, BYU. Managed to upset number nine Baylor twenty six to twenty in double overtime in Provo. That was I think the game ended at two a.m. Eastern time. I, I want to say yeah, something, something like that. Then. Yeah. So Chase Roberts, uh, BYU wide receiver, eight catches, one hundred twenty two yards, and a touchdown. Threw for a touchdown as well. And obviously Baylor being ranked number nine, that's a little concerning that they lost on the road. But the biggest concern for Baylor. The offense, at least the skill players on the offense, they do not have a lot of experience there. Is that troubling when we are looking at them going into Big 12 play with this kind of inexperience? I'd have to say absolutely. Um, The Big 12 has proven itself to look really strong this year, to be honest. And Baylor was one of those teams that was touted as one of the stronger teams of the Big 12. But with this offensive inexperience, I I think we're just going to continue to see, you know, little things here and there, dropped passes, uh, poor blocking, uh, I just think that Baylor is not going to be able to hack it against teams like Oklahoma State, Texas, and, you know, maybe maybe Kansas uh, <laughs> runs wild all over them. We'll have to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Baylor, their tight end, Ben Sims, still very legit. I like Blake Shapin a lot, but, uh, you know, it hurts to not have Tyquan Thornton anymore. It hurts to not have that top-end speed on the outside. Uh, and, and, again, this was a... Really, a, not a great, uh, I mean, a bad loss for, for Baylor here because, yes, BYU is is tough to play. They have a surprisingly good home field advantage. Lavelle Edwards, very tough place to play, especially late at night. Uh, but BYU was missing their top two receivers in this game. Yes, Chase Roberts really stepped it up, but they were missing Nakua. They were missing Romney. And Jaron Hall still found a way to really get it done. I'm very impressed with Hall's game right there. And the defense 
defense made some clutch stops when they had to. But again, Baylor doesn't have the playmakers to make these big-time plays, so they got to find that go-to guy and soon because Ben Sims is good, but but you need some more options there. Yeah, everyone on Baylor just needs to focus on doing their job, and I think they'll be a lot better team once they get some experience. Uh, but nonetheless, BYU is a, is a really good team, and I don't think this is a loss to be too upset over if you're a Baylor fan. I just think there's some things that need to start happening for Baylor to stay in that conversation of making an impressive bowl game. Yeah, so speaking of uh, disappointing losses, we are going to jump into our next segment, which is really just a continuation of this one, but we're going to highlight a certain conference. That conference is the Sun Belt, but that's not what we should call them. We should call them the Fun Belt. (laughs) They were really fun to watch this weekend. Uh, So, of course, you had the appetizer. Georgia State loses a close one to UNC 35-28. That kind of set the tone for the day early. And then Marshall took down Notre Dame, 8th-ranked Notre Dame, 26-21 to in touchdown Jesus. Then, in the 3.30 hour, you have App State taking down number 6 Texas A&M, 17-14 in Kyle Field. Then, later that night, Georgia Southern takes down Nebraska, 45-42 to in Lincoln. Between Texas A&M, Notre Dame, and Nebraska, three games were lost. million were lost, and Scott Frost was fired. Clearly a disappointing weekend for anyone going against the Sun Belt. Uh, Except for Nebraska, to be honest. I think they should celebrate that one as a win, getting rid of Scott Frost. Uh, No matter what it costs, I think getting, getting rid of Scott Frost is quite worth it. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, when it comes to Texas A&M, they've proven one thing, and that is that money can't always buy you happiness. You know, It can buy you a lot of nice, shiny things, but it can't buy you happiness. Uh, one of the most expensive recruiting classes uh, ever, and they lose at home to App State. App State's a good team, an experienced team, but you lose at Kyle Field like that is just bad. And then, you know... Notre Lame. Now, look, I, I, come on, guys. I was just praising Notre, Notre Lame last week. I said they shed the label. They became Notre Dame again, and then they do this right here. So they're back to being Notre yeah, Lame. Yeah, they're not ranked anymore either for a reason. Which, you know, yep. I was pleasantly surprised at. I almost thought the writers were going to be like, oh, well, but, you know, but you see, but, they, you know, they came close to Ohio State. It's still Notre Dame. Pleasantly surprised that uh, the writers said, ah, forget this team. They're, they're, <laughs> they're, dro- they're dropping down. Yeah, you know, I think I saw Matthew McConaughey uh, coaching there from Mars. as they took him down uh just wow uh not sure how to react if you're an Notre Dame fan because they honestly looked really good and now they're looking terrible I don't well at least at least their defense looked good and Bosky is legit but the issue is the offensive inexperience at skill positions I mean obviously they are known for producing offensive linemen but I mean outside of yeah outside of Michael Mayer what do they have right now that is experienced from last year uh, Not a whole lot. Yeah, just just Chris Tyree. Yeah, and, and but he only... wasn't even RB1. Kyron Williams was the RB1 last year. Yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, Tyree was supposed to take a big step forward, but he's a speed back. Uh, there's only so many ways you can use his specific skill set, whereas Williams was like a jack-of-all-trades kind of guy, and, and they just don't have that kind of running back anymore. Yeah, yeah, and the other the other problem that they've got this week, too, Tyler Buckner, their quarterback, is likely done for the year with an injury, so we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I mean, if you're a Notre Dame fan, honestly, the way I would look at this game is just think think to yourself, we should not have been ranked at the start of the season. We should not have been ranked. And this Number is, five. Yeah, and like this, honestly, in uh, Freeman's first season as head coach, I, I don't think it's disappointed terribly. I think he's got a lot of work to do, and I think he's shown some capability, especially in that Ohio State game. He's been able to coach in a big-time moment, but... I think you just need to give it a lot of time, and I think you shouldn't expect some success for a while. Yeah, I, I will say with Freeman, uh, players really like to play for him. I remember when I saw last season when it was announced that uh, Brian Kelly was going to be leaving to go to LSU, and all the players looked around and were like, yeah, you know, they started celebrating. Yeah. They were going crazy because they knew Freeman was going to be the coach. So I think that says a lot about Freeman. I think that says a lot about Brian Kelly as well, though, honestly. Um, so he's a guy that a lot of people want to play for that he can motivate his players and that's going to be big for recruiting players to South Bend because lately it's been hard to pull guys in there because you know not 
the most exciting town. It's kind of gloomy. Uh, outside of Notre Dame's campus, there really isn't a whole lot to do. Uh, at least down at, like, Alabama, sometimes the weather's nice. You know, I mean, th- even though Tuscaloosa, you know, it, it's an, yeah. it's its own interesting town, too. But uh, but Notre Dame can't just rely on the brand anymore. They can't. No. They haven't won a national championship since 1988. So they can't just rely on the brand anymore. They got to actually have some excitement to pull young guys in to go to want to go to that school. Yeah, and maybe they can start a cult like A and M to get people down there. Because <laughs> that, yeah, I don't know what it is with Texas <laughs> maybe, schools maybe, this week. Maybe it's they can odd. just maybe they could just call up NBC and say, could you just give us like a little bit more cash? You know, I know we're paying you, but like, yeah. give, us, give us some back. So but but speaking of that money uh all that money that all those three schools lost this weekend uh back to the fun belt college game day is headed to boone next week for appalachian state versus troy what do we think about that i'm pretty excited about it to be honest i think it's going to be a really fun game day i don't think the game is going to be the fun part though no definitely not but you know but it's the fun belt man yeah and and boone's a real party town man they know how to throw down (laughs) there and i'm i'm excited to see some mullets uh behind (laughs) uh the talking heads there and i i'm pretty excited for it to be honest i think it'll be a really fun show yeah maybe lee corso when he when he picks app state will put a mullet on he probably will instead of instead of putting on a mascot (laughs) head uh but yeah, I mean App State. They, I mean they've got such a good team. Troy, I think, is pr- not even really mad. They played okay against Ole Miss late, or yeah, I guess yeah, we yeah, won. That yeah, was, that wasn't bad for yeah. Troy. So I mean, I think it could turn out to be an interesting matchup on the field. Nonetheless, I, I App State has shown some real prowess in the games they've played, and I think they got the you know pedigree to be able to make a win happen even if it ends up being a close one yeah and i and i trust chase bryce in this one with all the years of experience he's got the good defense i think they'll easily end up beating troy all right so that will do it for the fun belt segment of our show now let's move into our next segment let's look just very briefly at the top 25 we've had a couple of pretty big jumps this week we've got kentucky all the way up to number nine byu to 12 Tennessee to 15, and Texas coming in despite the loss at number 21. Meanwhile, going down, Baylor, after that pretty big loss against BYU, they're down to 17. Florida, of course, down to 18 after that loss. Texas A&M somehow is hanging on by a thread at number 24 right now. And Notre Dame and Wisconsin were forced out of the top 25 after their losses. The other big news that was not just like a big jump or fall, Alabama and Georgia flipped after their games this weekend. Obviously, Alabama had a pretty disappointing game at Texas. They fall to number two. Georgia, I think, might be the first team to jump to number one after beating an FCS team at home. (laughs) (laughs) That has ever happened. I still think it makes sense. uh, Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Yes. It is funny to see that. Um, And, I mean, Georgia's, I think they're going to show that they are just as good as they were last season, to be honest. I think Georgia's going to be able to... They're my, they're my early favorites for the Natty. I have to say, I think Georgia's going to pull it off again. Yeah, I mean, that that's that's not a crazy pick at all. I mean, my, my preseason pick, of course, was Alabama to win the national championship. I still think there's a strong chance that that, that will happen. Uh, I do want to say about that Georgia game. Last, se- uh, last episode, I said... You know, after Georgia destroyed Oregon 49 to 3, I said, hey, maybe they, you know, maybe even Samford will play better than Oregon. Well, they did. They only yeah, lost they, 33 they didn't to nothing. They didn't put up any so. points, but they only lost by 33. Exactly. So, I mean, yikes. Uh, yikes for Ice Oregon there. Um, but, uh, you know, but this is a very interesting poll. Kentucky to nine. So now Kentucky gets to be the overhyped team. You know, it's like it keeps jumping. Your Florida gets to start We're used Kentucky. to seeing it here at Tennessee with Kentucky. Yep. Yeah. Now, Mark Stoops, brilliant head coach. Uh, for him to reach that milestone, really, really impressive. Uh, you know, passing the great uh, Paul Bear Bryant, one of the all-time great coaches in college football. Stoops to get there. What he's done with Kentucky, I mean, they were really bad before he got there. So, I am very impressed by Stoops. He knows how to coach a great defense, but I think number nine is way too high. Uh, I think Arkansas is a better team. I think Tennessee is a better team than Kentucky. I'm just going to say that right now. And I think, uh, I mean, of course, Alabama and Georgia also better teams. So, uh, you know, I think number nine way overrated, but uh, fortunately Tennessee will have a chance to, uh, you know, prove that later on in the season. 
Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I think Kentucky only jumps to number nine because of the falls in this uh, mm-hmm. slate of matchups. If if that didn't happen, I don't see them jumping as high. But it doesn't make sense either because I mean, Florida was ranked twelfth, mm-hmm. so by that logic, they should be probably no higher than twelve. Uh, and even though I think Florida was way overrated, and now they're sitting at about where I think they should yeah. have been uh, for that Utah win. But I I could very easily see Florida and Kentucky falling out of the polls. Yeah, to me, I definitely think Kentucky jumped up pretty high to number nine there for sure. Uh, and then, you know, Texas A&M being in there at number 24, I mean, how how are they still ranked after that? Only because they beat Sam Houston State and their defenses looked good. That's, that's the only thing I can think of. The Aggies' defense is legit but when you load it up with that much talent it should be it should be legit well it's not the defense that's the problem it's the offense exactly that's what's going on i mean haynes kink they were hyping him up all preseason he gets the job over max johnson which i was honestly very surprised by and then he goes out there in the first two games and looked just horribly unimpressive i mean he only threw for like 97 yards on Mm -hmm. saturday it was not good yeah i don't understand either why he keep why jimbo fisher keeps haynes king playing when you're playing a team like you know sam houston and appalachian state where you should be winning those games i feel like you should at least change it up and try someone who can get you a win hopefully and max johnson has the experience he's proven to be a very good quarterback he beat texas a&m last season playing for lsu i mean he's gotten huge wins on worser teams uh while playing for lsu so to me it made no sense but it's probably one of those scenarios where when you put all the guys in practice haynes king probably looks the best visually looks the best again strongest arm best playmaker with his legs going back to the whole Anthony Richardson thing I said earlier you probably visually okay this looks like the star guy but who actually has the accuracy who actually is making the smart decisions who actually can efficiently lead a team down the field to me that's Max Johnson regardless of what the you know tangibles and measurables say for for King as an athlete because he is a superstar athlete but it is decision making his accuracy it, it just hasn't shown up as a superstar quarterback all right, so with our look at the top 25, let's look into our final segment, our week three preview. Uh, first matchup here, we got to do it because they're 2-0. and Not because they're a good team, but because they're 2-0 and for the first time since 2009. Kansas at Houston. Who do we think wins this one? I'm going to take Kansas. It's fun. <laughs> I think that Kansas does have a good shot at this game, though, to be honest. Uh, their offense has shown up really well, and Houston's defense hasn't necessarily been the most impressive. So I think that Kansas could make something happen here. They just have to they just have to be able to hold them at least a little bit on defense and then maybe they can push another overtime game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like Kansas a lot too, but I got to roll with Houston here. I just don't think the Kansas defense is going to be good enough. They're going to get shredded by Clayton Toon, Tank Dell. Uh, that passing attack is just way too much. But I think Kansas makes a game out of this. It won't be a blowout like Houston was thinking it would be when they scheduled this matchup at the beginning of the season. You know what? I usually like to be logical here, but... Kansas is fun. Yeah, I got to go with the Jayhawks <laughs> on this one. I mean, they, this team is averaging 55.5 points per game right now. I mean, obviously one of those was against Tennessee Tech, but the other was against a legitimate Big 12 opponent mm-hmm. in West Virginia. I mean, sure, things aren't going spectacular for them, but it's Kansas, and they're throwing all these points on them. So I got to go with Kansas in this one for that reason. Okay, so our next matchup is one of the ranked matchups this week. Number 12, BYU at number 25, Oregon in Autzen Stadium. Ducks are coming off a pretty easy win over Eastern Washington, as they should, although Eastern Washington is a pretty big FCS power. So, And then, of course, we talked about BYU earlier, uh, coming off that big win against Baylor at home. Who do we think wins this one? I'm taking BYU for sure. Um, I don't have much faith in Oregon, especially after week one. And I, I didn't think they were necessarily a great team to begin with. Like before before the Georgia game, I thought they were going to get destroyed by Georgia. And with BYU, I think they've shown that they're a really solid team and they've been able to win a really tough game. And I mean, one thing you have to remember with BYU too is with their players, they're all a lot of them come back from mission trips and still have their eligibility, and they're they're like in their late twenties. Oh yeah, they're like twenty five years yeah, old. Yeah, these are grown men who are mm-hmm. who are coming in to play these poor like 
young kids. So I, th- I take BYU here. Yeah, I, I was going to say this is a matchup that does not favor Oregon uh, very well. A, because, you know, Dan Lanning could become a great coach, but he's got a lot of learning to do. Uh, meanwhile, BYU's coach, uh, Seiki, he, he really uh, he knows what he's doing with that team. And Oregon does have an incredible offensive and defensive line. The problem is BYU also has quite a, a impressive line as well. Absolute mountain me- mountains of men uh, on that line as well. So... I mean, if this was against a lot of other teams, especially in the Pac-12, I'd say Oregon definitely has an edge in the trenches. But because it's against BYU, they really don't. And BYU is the better quarterback. They've got the more experienced receivers coming back. They've got, uh, you know, Oregon might have a better defense. But at the end of the day, I got to roll with BYU to win this one. I'm also going to go with BYU here. And it's for reasons that we saw last week against Baylor, actually. I see a lot of similarities between Baylor and Oregon in that, you know, I, the quarterback position is a bit of a concern for this team, really, and BYU really got after Baylor uh, defensively, and I think Oregon is a good defensive-minded team, but in the end, I think BYU has a little bit more firepower there on offense, and, you know, I just I just don't trust Bo Nix, so that's why I got to go with BYU in this one. So up next, we got Texas Tech at number 16, NC State. Texas Tech, we didn't talk about it for the sake of time, but they came off an OT win over Houston 33-30. to NC State had an FCS cupcake this week against Charleston Southern, I believe, 55-3 to win for them. Who do we think wins this one? I'm going to take NC State here, and not just because they are ranked, but because of the fact that it is at home for them, and I think they have a really good home, uh, home field advantage. And they've been able, even though they had their easy FCS win, uh, the ECU game was somewhat impressive, to be honest. It was a tough, hard-fought game. Even though they probably should have lost it, that game uh, has historically been close between those teams just because they are rivals. I think that NC State is still a pretty good team, and I don't think that Texas Tech just has the offensive edge to be able to beat out NC State. Yeah, I, I got to roll with NC State on this one because I think their team can still get extremely highly motivated for this win because they're undefeated, yet they're sitting at number 16 in the rankings, and they know that you know, they have the still have the possibility of getting to the playoffs. So they're looking at their ranking and saying, hey, what the heck? You know, we're still outside of the top 15. This is unacceptable. You know, we we have the chance to really prove ourselves. I think they really want to make sure that this is a statement win and look like a complete team offensively and defensively. So I got to go with NC State. They have the home field advantage. They're the better team and they've got the motivation to win. Yeah, I like NC State here as well. And obviously you can point to that East Carolina game and say they almost choked it away. Texas Tech is a better team. They should not be winning this game. But the fact that it is at home, and, you know, I really, really like Devin Leary at quarterback for NC State as well. So I got to go with the Wolfpack on this one. All right, up next we have got Fresno State at number 7 USC. Uh, The Trojans just beat Stanford last week, 41-28, really just cruised in that one. And then Fresno State, they lost a close game against Oregon State. Oregon State now 2-0 against mm-hmm. the Mountain West, beating both Boise and Fresno State. The thing with Fresno State, though, is they've got arguably one of the most dangerous offensive trios in the country. So who do we think will end up on top in this one? I'm never going to count Fresno State out just because I've been a Mountain West fan for a long time, um, and I've seen Fresno State roll into town in Boise a lot, and they're, they always have a good team. And they're always going to be competitive teams. So I think that this game is going to be closer than a lot of people think it will be. But I don't really see USC dropping this one. They've looked really potent on offense so far. And I don't think that Fresno State's going to be able to keep up with the pace that USC will be able to play at. Yeah, I know this is going to be boring, but I, I really can't see Fresno State winning this game. USC is a significant talent edge on both offense and defense. They have a significant coaching edge with Lincoln Riley, Fresno, uh, dealing with a new head coach this season. Uh, and, and losing to Oregon State, who I think is a real sleeper in the Pac-12. Oregon State with Chance Nolan, and that offense looks very good. Jonathan Smith one of the best young head coaches in the game. Uh, But I think USC wins this one. I think it is closer than people expect, but I still expect at least a 10-point victory if they're really the number seven team in the country. Yeah, I got to go with USC here as well. I think, you know, the offense with just the talent edge, like you guys talked about, Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, they've looked awesome so far. Travis died, tore up Stanford last week. I think he'll do it again this week against Fresno. So I've definitely got to go with USC in this one. 
So let's stay in the Pac-12 here for just a minute. Number 11, Michigan State. Shout out Keegan Krause at Washington. This is the first true test for both of these teams in this season. They've both played, you know, they've had their FCS, the usual FCS matchup, and then they had a a group of five teams that they've played against. But this is their non-conference headliner. So who do we like between these two teams? This is honestly a tough one to pick because it's always tough to play in Husky Stadium. Uh, Washington's always going to give you problems there. It's a pretty underrated stadium uh, as far as it goes for a lot of people. Uh, Always loud up there. But Michigan State has looked really solid through their first two games. And they played against Western Michigan uh, for their first matchup, I believe. And that's a team that has been able to be pretty decent in the past couple years. So I think they've had a little bit tougher competition than Washington. And I think they'll be able to utilize that to be able to keep a level head and get the win here. All right. I'm sorry, Keegan, but I'm going with the Huskies here for the upset. I like Washington to get this win. Washington still is a very legit defense, and Kalen DeBoer coming in has really transformed this offense, bringing in Michael Penix as the quarterback. The offense looks much, much better, and and Michigan State, I think, is a very impressive team, but I think the Huskies squeak out a close win. That home crowd is very tough, and I, I don't think the Spartans uh, will be ready for this one, so give me the Huskies. You know, Michigan State's gone on the road before, I think, against Oregon and they did pretty well that mm-hmm. year. I, I don't know if it was that year or the other year that they played Oregon at home that they won, but I like Michigan State in this one just because Washington, you know, they're still rebuilding. They haven't seen a legitimate team yet, and I think Michigan State is just going to get them early on in the season when they're, you know, still down right where they are right now. So let's look at our last non-SEC matchup that we're going to cover. Number 21, Texas at UTSA. Uh, we've talked a lot about UTSA on this show because they're a, a legitimate group of five team. And, of course, Texas now being ranked uh, makes this much more interesting. And the other interesting factor here is Quinn Ewers is out, like we mentioned before. So is that opening the door at all for UTSA? I honestly don't think so um, because while the Texas offense is going to be hurt, it's – it's the fact that they were able to hold Bama to so few points that does it for me. It's really impressive to hold Bama uh, to that few scores in any contest. So I think that Texas is able to take this one uh, through sheer defensive power and just being able to scrap together things on offense. There's something in college football called the Alabama hangover, which is where you, which is either when you play Alabama and you barely beat them, which means you're riding high on, on the high of beating them, or you lose to them and you're feeling down about yourself by losing to them, especially for Texas in a game they should have won. I think they're going to experience the Bama hangover pretty bad. I think UTSA is really going to bring it to them. So I'm going UTSA in this upset here. I think they get the win at home. Frank Harris is legit. Zachary Franklin is legit. I got the Roadrunners in this one. Devin, I'm going to go with you here, actually. Uh, you know, Hudson Card got real banged up last week for Texas. We'll be, I'll be very interested to see what happens with their quarterback situation this week because they could potentially be playing two, three deep at that position, which could really hurt them in the long run. So I actually like UTSA in this one. So now let's transition over to the SEC. Number 22 Penn State is taking on Auburn on the Plains. That will be the CPS game this week. Penn State's looked really good in their games so far. Auburn, not so much. Had a pretty disappointing win over Mercer week one. And then last week, just only won by eight against a San Jose State team that really is not projected to do well in the Mountain West. So what do we think is going on here? Honestly, um, I'm going to take Auburn here. Uh, I just, I believe in Jordan-Hare Stadium as a venue. And the last matchup between Penn State and Auburn was a super close contest. And I I think there's uh, kind of how we have our kind of rivalry with Pittsburgh. I think there's that same thing going on here with Penn State and Auburn. I think Auburn's really going to want revenge. And I think that, you know, they're going to be able to make something happen here in Jordan-Hare Stadium. You never know what's going to happen when you go into that venue. It's it's a magical place for them. And uh, rumor has it they will be wearing orange jerseys. So we, the University of Tennessee now has a minor league affiliate, so we have to cheer for them. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They're they're trying to copy us for sure. Uh, and as a result, I, I think that move is going to backfire. I think Penn State's going to win this game. They just have a talent edge to me, a coaching edge. Defense is really legit. The offense, uh, to me, is just 
better. They've got better running back. Well, except Tank Bigsby is is the best running back. But, I mean, the room as a whole, I think, is better for Penn State. Clifford's experience, he's looking to have a good year. Uh, I trust Penn State to win this game a lot more, even in the tough environment. So I'm going to go with the Nittany Lions. I'm with you, Devin. Uh, I really like the way Sean Clifford's played this season so far. Uh, Obviously, they had that great win at Purdue to start the year. Hostile environment they had to play in to get that win, we should mention, because they've got to go to Auburn now. He's proven, Sean Clifford has proven that he can go into these kind of environments and get the win. And, you know, with Auburn, you know, TJ Finley, if he's looking rough against these group of five teams like San San Jose Jose State, State, who knows what he's going to look like against a legitimate defense at Penn State. So I've got to go with Penn Penn State in this one. I I really don't see any way around it. Uh, So another SEC non-conference matchup, number 20 Ole Miss taking on Georgia Tech in Bobby Dodd Stadium in Atlanta. These two last met in the 2013 Music City Bowl. I was there. Uh, it was a pretty good game. Ole Miss ended up winning it. I think somewhere around 24 to 17 was the score. And it was really the year before the year for both of those teams. Uh, that was the year before Ole Miss beat Alabama in Oxford. And that was the year before Georgia Tech made it to the ACC championship with Justin Thomas. The one great thing I do remember from that game, though, was at least at the time, it was the longest passing touchdown in Georgia Tech history caught by a man that you guys might have heard of. His name is Darren Waller, uh, tied in for the Raiders. So that was that was back, I guess, nine years ago now. Uh, two very different-looking teams from then, though. Georgia Tech is out of the triple option era. Ole Miss, obviously, Hugh Freeze is a thing of the past, and now it kind of feels like it's the year after the year for Ole Miss, so interesting to see what will happen here. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm definitely just going to have to take Ole Miss on this one. It was kind of weird to hear uh, Georgia Tech's name mentioned next to a bowl game. Haven't seen that in a while. Uh, Just some abysmal football coming out of Atlanta from them, Uh, and I don't think that's changing anytime soon. Uh, Give me Ole Miss. Yeah, to me so far, Ole Miss, uh, I've not been very impressed with this season. They they have they've really uh, not met my expectations for what I thought they'd be, but Georgia Tech still is not very good. Their defense looks much improved, but their offense still is, is abysmal. I think Ole Miss defense is actually going to win them this game. They'll come up with enough big stops and end up winning this one, but I think it'll be a bit closer than people expect, but I got to go with the Rebels. Yeah, I, I got to go with Ole Miss here too. I think it's going to be a game that could get ugly at times between the two teams, but I think Ole Miss definitely has the edge. You know, Even though offensively they haven't been what they were last year, I still like them more than post-triple option Georgia Tech, so give me Ole Miss in this one for sure. All right, last ranked matchup of the weekend. Number 13, Miami travels to number 24, Texas A&M, in Kyle Field. The U managed to beat Southern Miss last week in uh, what you could call the Frank Gore Classic. Frank Gore Jr. plays for Southern Miss. Frank Gore played at Miami. They won that one 30-7. Not the most impressive win, but guys, they at least won their matchup. Yeah, (laughs) Texas A&M really can't say the same thing. And Kyle Field no longer seems like a fortress, Um, especially after losing at home. Texas A&M just I don't I don't know how they're going to be able to turn that around uh, morale wise. Although Miami has not necessarily looked like the most amazing of teams so far this year. They've looked good. They've looked a lot better than they have. But it is it is still Kyle Kyle Field and it is a ranked matchup. I think that Texas A&M, if, if Haynes King is not starting at quarterback, I think they win this one. If Haynes King is starting, I'll take the U. You know, I'm, I'm going to roll with uh, Ben Aggies. Do not make me regret this here. But I'm going to roll with Texas A&M on this one, no matter who's starting at quarterback. I'm going to roll with the Aggies on this one. I think, you know, coming off that loss, Jimbo Fisher's going to use that as, as motivation against Miami. Uh I think he's going to find a way to get a win here. I think Miami is a little overrated, and and they're not going to be able to get this victory. Yeah, I've got to go with Miami here. Uh, I like the quarterback that is a legitimate quarterback for his team, Tyler Van Dyke at Miami, much better than I like Haynes King right now, so give me Miami in this one. Okay, let's get into some SEC matchups versus other SEC teams. Number one, Georgia is taking on South Carolina at williams Bryce Stadium. Georgia won this one 40-13 last year between the hedges. 
And obviously, we talked about South Carolina losing last week to Arkansas, and that defense is really banged up right now for South Carolina. Yeah, give me Georgia. I just think that this Georgia team has looked just as good as they did last season. I think that on the offensive side of the ball, they're amazing. They're able to make a lot happen. On the defensive side of the ball, they're still really, really strong, even after losing a lot of guys to the draft. I think this Georgia team is, they're my national champions right now. And that may change. They may prove me wrong. But right now, they're my favorites for sure to win the Natty. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, at South Carolina, this is typically a team that plays Georgia pretty tough. This is a underrated SEC rivalry. Typically, whenever these teams face off, especially when it's at South Carolina, Georgia's had a tendency to get tripped up here, even when they've had significantly better teams, which they do here. But I just can't pick the Gamecocks in this one. Georgia is so legit. They are just as good as they were last year. And maybe because the offense is so much better, they might be even better better possibly than they were last year when they had one of the greatest teams of all time so i can't pick against this georgia team like that uh, south carolina has not impressed me in their first two games at all so originally i was going to pick it as a trap but it's not even that to me i think georgia wins this by a good amount yeah i also forget too that last season uh jt daniels was still in the picture for georgia and yep. stetson bennett wasn't even starting yes yeah, stetson season. bennett i think started maybe the uab game before that but mm-hmm. uh that was really the first game that he started in the season, and they didn't really get to him until further down the road. Guys like you, I'm, I've got to take, take Georgia in this one, you know. Uh, South Carolina, I think, is the best offense Georgia has seen or will see, uh, at least at this part of the season. But definitely got to go with Georgia here. Our other SEC matchup, Mississippi State at LSU. The Tigers won this one 28-25 last year in Stark Vegas, but the Bulldogs are 2-0 on what I would consider a little bit more of a difficult schedule than what LSU has had to go through so far. And guys, this one always gets interesting toward the end of game. So uh, what do we think is going to happen here in uh, Death Valley this Saturday? I mean, you hear at LSU, and you almost always want to say, oh, LSU is going to win this one. But I'm definitely taking Mississippi State in this matchup, especially after their impressive wins uh, against Memphis and the University of Arizona, who those teams aren't necessarily the greatest of teams. But like Devin talked about, they played at weird times. So I think that Mississippi State has a little bit more toughness to them right now than LSU does. And the Brian Kelly era is off to a bit of a weird start. And I don't really know how to feel about this LSU team just yet. Um, I I think they still need a few games in them to really figure out what they're even doing. Because to be honest, it, you look at the product on the field, it doesn't even seem like they have really much idea what kind of football they're trying to play at this point. Yeah, I, I think Mississippi State's defense will have a really impressive showing against LSU because LSU offensively, they are scrambled. Their defense is talented, uh, guys like Ali Gay and others, but their offense with Jaden Daniels has just been completely scrambled, and Mississippi State's offense is very legit. Again, I think Will Rogers is one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. Personally, if I had to rank all the quarterbacks in the SEC, I'd go Bryce Young, then Hendon Hooker, and then Will Rogers right after that. I think he's really that good. So I got to roll with the Bulldogs to go on the road, get a close, but good win here against LSU. You know, we've seen it them do it in the past. Obviously, 2014, Dak Prescott won it down there at night in Death Valley. The opening game of the uh, COVID season, 2020, KJ Costello had kind of a premature Heisman-like performance against <laughs> LSU. They won the game, but Mississippi State really fell off after that happened. Yes. But uh, based on those games that we've seen in the past and basically where LSU is right now, I've got to pick Mississippi State to win this one. I like the way they can go down there and play LSU sometimes. They play them pretty well at times in Death Valley, so should be very interesting to see what happens in that one. Okay, so here is our final matchup of the week, the biggest matchup of the week, Akron at number 15, Tennessee. These two teams last met 10 years ago, actually. Uh, Tennessee won this one 47-26, gave up a lot of points. Uh, that was the tail end of the Derek Dooley era. Currently, Akron just beat St. Francis of Pennsylvania in overtime in week one, and they got blanked 52-0 by Michigan State last week in Sparty. What do we think happens this week? So obviously, this is Tennessee's game, but it's just a matter of by how much, and I think similar to what we saw in the Ball State game, even though Tennessee did rack up a lot of points in that game, 
Um, I think that Tennessee's not going to show their full offensive hand, and they're still going to hold back a lot of offense during this game. And I think that they're going to run up a lot of points, but obviously Akron is a little bit weaker than Ball State, so I'm definitely taking Tennessee by... I'm going to give a score prediction here because I think it's always fun to do score predictions for the UT games. I'm going to say Tennessee takes this one 42-3. Yeah, I mean, I might even go even higher than that, honestly. If, if Michigan State can beat Akron 52 to nothing, I, I think there's no reason why Tennessee can't win by a similar score. Uh, Akron is just really bad. They're worse than Ball State for sure. Uh, probably the worst team in the MAC if I had to pick. And it, what's crazy is they're not even the worst team on Tennessee's schedule. They're still UT Martin later, which, to be honest, I feel like matchups like that should just be illegal. Like teams should just be banned <laughs> from having those matchups because really, because it doesn't serve any purpose. We're, like, we're paying them though. We're giving them good money for that game. Exactly. <laughs> as long as we don't lose, it's good. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. there's like no way. I mean, it's it's really uh. It it's it almost serves no purpose. Um, it's like okay, you run up the stats quite a bit. It's like all right, but I mean every team does it, of course. But I, I just wish things like that did not happen. But this game, uh, yeah, Tennessee should win very easily, very easily. Not not even in question. Yes. Yeah, so like Dom said, Akron is worse than Ball State. I'm going to say that Tennessee gets this one done, fifty nine zero. I think they go for the shutout here. Akron is coming off an 0-12 season, if I'm not mistaken. So it's going to be a tough game once again for them. I like Tennessee to win it big. All right, that is going to do it for this week's edition of Neyland's Basement. For Devin Hoke and Dominic Throngard, I am Tucker Harlan. We will see you guys next week.